Hello, it's Wednesday, October 8th, 2008, and you're listening to Flipped Out. Flipped Out is a podcast about the art, the culture, and the madness of Austin, Texas, and its burn community. I'm your host, Lance Hunter. Let's begin. Hello, all. This week, I've got something extra special for you. See, back in early August, I got to sit down at Cafe Mundi with the one and only Watermelon. Watermelon is a vocalist, a DJ, a former Miss Flipside, one of the primary forces shaping our very successful sound policy in 2008, the head of our sound marshal force that year, and of course, an all-around winner. We discuss sound at Flipside, how attending burn events shapes the art you create in the outside world, why people always seem to hate on the ravers, and uh, why we're winning. So now, my interview with Watermelon. Sitting here at Cafe Mundi with, uh, who the hell are you? I'm Watermelon. Watermelon, fantastic. Uh, and Watermelon, aside from being a fantastic uh, musician, artist in that regard, was also the sound lead for Flipside 2008. Um, so let's start with that, sound. Flipside, what? what? Well, um, Why was there a sound lead and what did you do? Well, I actually took on the title of Chief Sound Marshal this year. It will be a little different next year, but that's what it was this year. Um, but that rose because we got so many sound, we got some pretty crucial sound complaints in 2007 from not only neighbors, but people who were camping at Pedernales State Park. So we were sort of given conditions by the landowner to even have it this year, that if we didn't do certain things regarding sound or take that on as an issue, that he wasn't going to feel confident renting the land to us. So one of his, it was his idea. It was totally his idea to create that position. Um, that was one of the requirements of of his sort Our of like contract. yeah. He was like, you need a set, you need somebody who's in charge of dealing with it. He wanted it was his idea to have the pre-testing, the work weekends where we did sound testing. So a little bit of thanks goes to him because he, you know, we took it our own way and did did our own thing, but. Just the concept of even having that sort of came with the conditions, and it turned out to be. And it actually ties in. So, uh, what, what was the process for keeping the sound manageable this year? Well, the process was a decibel limit. So that was pretty much the only technical process that we had. We had sound marshals on duty at all times. I guess uh, there was a little bit of a break from like six to ten or six to noon. We didn't have anybody. But there were sound marshals on site the whole time uh, with decibel meters. And so, and they just patrolled. So then kind of just a general like patrolling, keeping a watch on everything. And then, if the, and then um, me along with the, um, the marshals on duty had a radio. So if there were any complaints, we would be able to get over there quickly. But that was pretty much the only set. Like we had a, sh- we had a marshal schedule, people had shifts. Um, and they had meters. That's pretty much the only. Right. How about before the events? Like, how did you get set up to get this whole thing ready and operating? Well, I mean, it, it pretty much started with, pretty much started with the first work weekend. Um, with the first work weekend, we rented a system and put it on the back of a trailer, and we and we were completely blind at this point. We had no idea what we were doing. 
Well, we had a couple of sound meters. And our first idea was, well, what we had to discover first was if there, was, if there were other parts of the land that would be better for sound and for sound carrying. Because we felt that the upper field, looking at it topographically, that that's why it would have carried so well. We looked at where the theme camps on the upper field were pointed last year and why that was a problem. And so we just kind of took that system on the back of a trailer and drove it all around the land. And, and while we did that, we had people in spot in place. Like one of them was on the uh, like backyard of one of the neighbor's porch or on the back porch of one of the neighbors. And we had another one like out in the, uh, out in the park. And then we had another one like up, or up, like up by the greeter station or where you enter. Yeah. And then just kind of compiled data that day, I mean, that weekend. That's pretty much all uh, we yeah. could do. I remember seeing that trailer, actually, on the first weekend and thinking that it was, like, the, the kind of most cheap-ass art car ever. Yeah. So. We had, you know, we got the biggest system that we could rent at, on that weekend, but that wasn't comparable at all to what was going to be out there. Yeah. So we kind of figured, oops, we kind of figured out a few things, but we had to go back another weekend with the actual systems, that, the two of the biggest systems that we sort of predicted were gonna be out there. And we put those down in, the, in that, uh, that lower area, what was the sound ghetto this year. We tried those because from the first weekend, we kind of figured out that that is where it carried the least. Okay. So then we tried the loudest systems down in that set, section to sort of figure out what our decibel meter, what the decibel limit was gonna be. That was the next step. Cool and uh, and uh, uh, how did things go? I, I I hear rumors. I hear you know. Like at the actual event. Yeah, yeah. Things were great. Completely flawless. Like uh, completely flawless. No complaint. Um, we got one call from one neighbor asking. She was concerned that we weren't having the festival this year because she couldn't hear anything. So it was flaw. It was absolutely flawless. I mean, people got over the limit, but anybody that was asked to turn it down did. Um, and there was never any complaint from anybody, so we never had to do DEF CON 10. I can't believe how successful it was. Can you describe DEF CON 10? Because, you know, most people listening to this probably know, but maybe if you don't. And uh, I remember this was the concept when I heard it just freaked me the hell out. Mm -hmm. Well, luckily we never had to do it because it would have sucked. I mean, it would have been terrible. DEF CON 10 was another requirement from the conditions of use for the land. Um, he required that we set up a system so that if there was a complaint from the outside neighbors, that we'd be able to quiet it within 10 minutes. So DEFCON 10 just basically consisted of a plan of sound marshals and rangers working together to once DEFCON 10 had been established, it was like, get the word out, shut everybody down. And it was gonna be, it was like levels were gonna have to be cut by like three fourths, subs were gonna have to be cut, like it was gonna have to be quiet time. Um, so I'm glad that it never that yeah. it never had to happen. I just imagine, like, yeah. And then after that, it was a gradual process of like every every ten minutes raising the limit a little bit, coming back up to another level. But I was scared to death of DevCon 10 because if that happened, it was just then that was going to be an indication that it was going to happen from now on. You know yeah. what I mean, like. If Def Content had happened on Thursday or Friday night, I mean, it just would have, A, everything Saturday, would have had Sunday, to have been, yeah, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, so it's like, I was just dreading it. 
but I never had to do it. I was so glad. Excellent. Yeah, so you had sound camps organized, and I understand you worked a lot with city placement in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you done lead positions before with Flipside, or was this like um, the first out the gate? I've never even volunteered for anything at Flipside before. So this was, uh, I jumped right into it. But basically, um, when the conditions for, the news of the conditions for land use, when it first came, when it, or when, when the LLC and everybody first heard about it, they sort of announced, hey, we've got this thing, and we're going to have to compile this sound policy. And anybody who's interested, you know, and especially anyone who is involved with sound camps, we would like you to be, you know, we're having this meeting. So, of course I went. And uh, because I, I, I showed up at that meeting mainly because at, at Flipside last year, I saw sound be such an issue. And my personal theme camp that was a pretty loud sound camp I, we had to have rangers come to us and talk to us about sound and um, one of my one of my performances even had to even got uh, cut because of a sound issue and so it just it affected me personally last year and so I was like hell yeah I'm showing up to that meeting because I just had a, I had a million ideas of how it could be better um, you know it was just that rangers didn't really know anything about it they hadn't been trained on it so anytime you had different rangers coming up to you at different times telling you different things, there was no you know continuity and in that environment, it's hard to know what you're really supposed to do, you know? Yeah. So I showed up at that meeting and it was a big discussion. And uh, we really, you know, I think we made some good headway there. And, you know, then they were kind of like, well, is there anybody who wants to lead it up or anybody who wants to do it? And I was like, well, I guess I'm passionate enough about it. I guess I will. And so I did. I was scared to death at first, scared to death. I was like, what have I got myself into? But um, it ended up being great. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Um, it made me realize how everybody that I, that I had helping me, like there's so much knowledge. Like so many kids that are in these theme camps that are, you know, the DJs, the musicians, the, the sound systems. There is so much knowledge there. Like it blew my mind. Like so much good, like skill, you know, like knowing about sound, knowing about speakers, knowing about power, you know, I mean, I had every resource I could possibly think of, I had there to help me, and so once I realized that, I was able to, like, cool off a little bit, but at first it was like, oh my gosh, you know, what do I do, because it was physics, sound vectors, the way, you know, the way, where the wind's going, the way sound carries, waves, stuff like that, I had no idea, no. Yeah, sound is one of those things that the more you get into it, it, it like it suddenly go down the rabbit hole of like, oh my God, what was coming? Yeah. Yeah. And amazing at the same time. I mean, if you know, I mean, a little bit of this year's success, I have to take for luck. I mean, or just probability. Like some people who might have complained last year, maybe they just weren't around this year, or you know, there could have been some other factors for it being so successful, but. One way you can look at it is that just being deliberate, like just being deliberate with it and treating it as an issue, just it can help so much. I mean, like if it really did cause that much improvement, just yeah. taking the time to treat it like its own thing. So yeah, it's, it's amazing still. Your first burn was 2003, big right. burn. Uh-huh. That's right, that's right. Uh, how did you get, uh, decide to go to that thing? Well, um, I had a friend in college who was into it and then, um, 
so she started going in 99 and I could never go because I, I was an art student and it was always the first week of school yeah and so I could never go and so the minute I graduated like uh, the minute I graduated college was like the very next year we went and um, out there is where I didn't I kind of had heard about Flipside by then but not really I, I heard about it once before but you know had no idea how to get tickets or anything like that and um, but out at, out there in Nevada, I met uh, the Wonder Lounge, oh. and that's where I met a lot of kids from Austin, and that that's how I found out about the uh, Flipside Burning. I, I went to Flipside in '04. Flipside '04 was my first. Yeah. So the monkey was your first effigy then. Right. Yes. Wait, okay, informal poll, real quick here. Uh, so far, of all the Flipsides you've attended, and everything, mm -hmm. what has been your favorite effigy? Mm. I think maybe the monkey. The monkey and the rocket ship, I mean, are a close tie, but I mean, the monkey, especially being the first one, just like, good lord. Now, the heat of the rocket ship, I think, wins. And the distance I had to back up, you know? Yeah, it's funny because I think most people I've talked to, especially if, like, their first year was 2003, 2004, it's always the monkey. It's like people who came in 2006, 2007. Maybe you know people came in like 2003 or whatever. They'll they'll have a whole bunch of different options, but invariably for most people it's the monkey still. Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like the Daft goal is to always beat the monkey. <laughs> well, it did have a lot of arms, you know. I yeah. mean, and to have specific things on all those arms and yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. Cool. And so, yeah, you went to O4M. Uh, have you been to the Big Burn? You go there regularly? Or? Every year. This year will be my sixth. In a row. So, yeah, and I haven't missed a flip side yet either. Nice. Not since I started. Tell me a little bit about your camp. Um, I am with the Winner's Circle. And we strive to award all winners, but to um, welcome and support all winners, to remind those that may not know that they are winners, that they are winners. Um, we're definitely a music camp. We're a group of musicians, uh, mainly DJs. Uh, we have an awesome system. I think it's one of the richest, most highest quality systems I've heard for the, you know, for the bang. I really, I love it. Um, I love, you know, all the, all the music in our crew, everything that gets played. I think it's awesome. Um, but other than just playing music for people, you know, we, uh, we give out blue ribbons. We try and give out trophies, awards, um, you know, just to be, to be general winners right. but it's not real huge I mean we don't offer we don't offer a lot of interactivity I mean we're still pretty young but you know we always have the system and the dance floor and the disco ball what year did you start that actually um 2000 I'm trying to think well when we all went in 2004 we were we were pretty much the winner's circle but we didn't show up with a sound system until 2005 and that was the last year on at Rec Plan. Yeah. And that was the year I won Miss Flipside. So we were like right there on the creek. I gave out like Paps Blue Ribbons on behalf of the Winter Circle. I was Miss Blue Ribbon. So that was 2005. Yeah. That's that 2005 is when we showed up. And that was that was with an old system. That's not the system we use now. That was a rented one in 2005. So six, seven, and eight was the system that we have now with the pretty much set group of DJs that we have now. 
so for the sound nerds in the crowd, what is your system you have now? Um, it's, oh my gosh, the specs you'll have to get from someone else. I always forget. But we've got Sir and Vega subs, which I love. And then um, we had way too many turntables this year, I think. We had like eight, like eight played out, all these mixtures and stuff. It was a little much. It's like, I need more arms, quick. And we had the we had the subs a little too far apart this year too. Mm -hmm. It didn't really didn't really create the space as much as I would like. That was because of the eight turntables, I think. Uh, we had it spread so far. I like when the number of turntables causes an extra amount of physical distance. Yeah. It's like that's a problem. That was real, it really happened. I guess I don't know, comparing yourself when you were the art student who was thinking about Burning Man, hearing about it from your friend versus the uh, person you are now. How, what kind of influence have these burn events had on you? Oh, I mean, I mean, it's been my school. You know, like I mean, I was a, I was a performance and installation artist. That that was pretty much what I focused on in school. And so, the last, you know, those five years consisted of big projects. You know, only like two or three projects per year, with like a critique at the end. You know, like everyone, you know, like you sort of like sort of like a presentation, you know, like here's yeah. my deal, show it to your class, everyone talks about it. And uh, so that's pretty much how my mind was working when I got out of college and, and getting right into Burning Man after that, I mean, it's just perfect. You know, I mean, it just like... It, Installation how, art? Burning Man? I know, you know. So getting into that right after was just like, my mind was set for it, my mind was ready for it, and it's it's done nothing but take that and build on it. That like working, you know, the work done in this off time and, and it being leading up to this sort of like area of presentation. Like, yeah, so I mean, it's just made, and every time you figure something new out, every time you get a little better at it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I had tried to take on something like this, you know, having not had so many, you know, cause I've, I've been to, I guess Flipside was my 11th burn. And it's like, yeah, I mean, each time, I've, you know, you try and do an art project, you try and get your camp right, you try and just get along with everybody, you try and get your, yeah. you try and not get sick or whatever. So yeah, definitely by the 11th burn, I mean, that, there were so many, there was so many things with just being out there that I'd already figured out that I was actually able to do a big volunteer position. Okay. Like, had, had this been the first or second time I'd burned and I was trying you know, like if I'd just been some sound expert who didn't burn to come out there, I mean, hell no. Because there was just so much, I had so much flexibility because, you know, my food, my food, my water, my comfort, my downtime, all that, I didn't have to think about it. It was just so second nature. So that when it was like time to work, I didn't have any problem with it. Didn't feel like I lost a lot of free time, you know. And carrying a radio the whole time was really fun. <laughs> I can't That's right. I'm on call. I can't believe that I kept up with it. That is a miracle. What a moment. A whole vessel without losing that something tied to her hip. That is a miracle. It was meant to be. Yeah, so how, how would you say has uh, attending Burns and all that affected your art? Um, it's just made it great. You know, great and better. Uh, I can't say... I mean, everything's different now. Like, I don't really do installation sculpture anymore, and I haven't done as many just like... Uh, I used to do just sort of like happening-type performances, you know, like out in everyday life and stuff. 
it's definitely honed my performances more to the stage, more to specific like musical and you know amp those sort of performances, right. you know. I, and, I think uh, you might be the only burner ever whose uh, art has been more focused on the stage after. I know, right? Well, I think oh sorry, I think because getting into it when I did, um, they're really and especially going out to the big burn like. There really is so much saturation of art, you know, and of people doing performance art, and like that's what everyone's doing out there. And so I think I started noticing how out there on the stage, you really do have to work even harder to 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 stand out and to capture that space because there is performance going on all around you. So I think that's where it went for me. All right. Here's a question I'd like to ask just to raise controversy. If you had to choose one, mm-hmm. either the flip side or Burning Man? Um, if I had to choose one, I probably would give them both up because, because what I learn, like what I cherish the most about what I learned out at Burning Man is almost always utilized at flip side and vice versa. And so I really don't think that I would... I don't think that I would ever, ch- like, if, if I couldn't go to one, I, I might have to, like, not go to any of them. Wow. I say that. I say that. But just for realistic life, I mean, like, distance, you know, if something happened and I couldn't go to the, the, the big one in Nevada, uh-huh. it's just so easy to go to the flip side. You know, you, it's just so easy to go that you would never, like, if there's an excuse not to go there, there's really not an excuse not to go to the flip side. So, I mean, of course, you know, when it comes down to it, I'm sure Flipside will get the, the tail end of yeah. of me, you know. Uh, and not just like in work you've created, but uh, on a more personal level, um, how would you say that these burn events, um, I don't know, would you say you, you're the same kind of person you would have probably been without going them or? Oh no, no, I think that, I mean granted, you know, you can always say that you, you learn what you want to learn and you take in what you want to take in no matter what situation you go into, but I mean, the strength that I feel from the accomplishments and just from, you know, each time you, each time you make it, each time you survive, each time you do it well, you know, each, you know, when you're sitting, you know, that next burn that you, that you go to and you can think back to how you've improved, you know, I mean, I get a lot of personal pride in that and I see a lot of, I mean, yeah, I mean, I see a lot of what I have become on making those improvements, but not just that, I mean, just like the, the, the deepening of the friendships, the the sort of more I feel like I belong here you know like you feel like you belong like with, with, with these people and in this place and you know I mean that shapes you know that shapes the amount of effort you're going to put into something in order to even get better at it too um, I think the way that I communicate has been affected the way that I live has been affected you know I mean by going out into that environment often you're constantly reevaluating what you do here, here in the real world, you know, and so, I mean, that's it's a, shaped a, every area. That's something I want to delve into just a little bit more. So, give an example of how something in the real world, as, as it were, has been affected by the whole flip side thing. Well, I mean, you know, if you, what I notice is the way, especially that first couple of months, that first, like, month when you've come back from Flipside or Burning Man, the way that you, the way that I notice how I talk to my coworkers differently. You know, I mean, after the way that you think of your, the way that you look at your neighbors, the way you feel, because I mean, 
At a burn, if you're standing next to, standing in line next to somebody waiting on the bathroom, you talk to them. Easy. You know, you feel, you automatically feel like you're out here with me. We have all this in but you know, we have all this in common. We're friends, you know. But if you think of how normally in, the, in an everyday situation, how if you're standing in line waiting for the bathroom, you'd never talk to that person. You know, you'd expect them to be annoyed by talking to you, you know, or sitting in a doctor's office, you don't talk to the person next to you. And um, so, yeah, like that first month when I come back from an event, I'm having to, I notice how I'm keeping myself from talking to that person, even though it feels so natural because I've been doing it for a week, you know. So that's probably what I notice, at, you know, what's the most just jumps out at me. Yeah. But yeah, the way that I communicate with my coworkers, the way that I... The way that I want to dress, like it's so hard to wear a shirt. I mean, it is. It's just you know, you look at how, you look at how, you just see how everything in this, you know, life is different. It's just slightly different, you know. And then you kind of ask yourself, well, does it have to be? I mean, is that what I'm supposed to learn and do here? So yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it just every time I go and come back, I just I rethink everything. I re-see everything, you know. Excellent. Now I've been looking at this tattoo. Uh -huh. I see, and and. This is a phrase that a lot of people like associate with you, and it just—it's kind of become a bit of a catchphrase. Fortunately, not one of the annoying ones. You know. No. But, uh, <laughs> but worth it. Uh, what's this all about? Worth it. Totally worth it. Um, a couple years ago, I—I I, um, sort of lobbied to have it be one of the themes. I went to the theme camp uh, presentation or whatever, yeah. the theme camp theme or the the theme presentation meeting that we had and I, I read this poem about what worth it means to me and why it should be worth it this year and uh, so um, and plus I say it all the time <laughs> so anybody if it hasn't sunk if I haven't gotten to you yet you know worth it worth it worth it totally worth it but uh, <laughs> um, but it's kind of it's kind of become a personal mantra for me uh, a reminder that a reminder during the bad times that it's totally worth it because the good times are so awesome, you know, it reminds me of, I've got it on a blue ribbon to remind me of all the burns that I've been to and of all the times of the winter circle that, that I have memories of being just the happiest, most awesome times in my life and, and, you know, reminding me like worth it because, you know, there's more good stuff like this to come and, and uh, so I haven't tattooed facing me because I'm the one that seems to forget that a lot, you know, like I, I got, I'll, I could let myself get down in the dumps over something small or like oh my gosh this thing you have to do is going to be so hard you know it's just a reminder to constantly ask myself is it worth it you know and that can be both like yes it's worth it get up and do it or you know this really isn't worth it like you know that that we you know that I have the control of what to put effort and energy into based on what you know if I think it's worth it or not so yeah totally worth it <laughs> fantastic uh, now I understand you also uh, out here in this whole real world thing uh, do music and performances uh, mm -hmm. with uh, Cherubic, correct? Yeah, Cherubic is my I husband. Got that name right. Like, yes. You did. Uh, yeah, he's my husband and partner. We've been together like ten years making music. Um, we DJ like um, we DJ separately a lot. Like I'm DJ Watermelon, DJ Cherubic. We don't DJ together a whole lot. But uh, when we do, he he's a producer as well and does all kinds of does all of our beats and stuff. And so he um, he when we do that whole thing, we're cherubic and watermelon. Like he does the beats and I do the live vocals and uh, sound effects and stuff like that. And uh, now and I also do a lot of burlesque stuff. I don't do it as much as I used to, but 
whenever Audrey's having a show, for sure I'm in there. And um, he usually does, he makes all the beats for that. But I try and be on stage as much as I can in any way, whether it be like spoken word or singing or dancing. I mean, anything really. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and actually, um, I wasn't able to research this, but in case you want to plug anything, if anything's going on like in the next month or so. Um. Well, I I'm now at Plush every Sunday. Um. So that's cool, and that's going to be starting this coming Sunday. So I was in like three days. So, um, and that goes from like 10 to 2, and every week will be a different time. Like sometimes I'll go on at 10, sometimes I'll go on at 1. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I mean, just look at my, you know, go to MySpace is pretty much all I have right now. MySpace slash watermelon. But um, I've got some domains that just, I'm, we're getting up, like Cherubing and Watermelon, Watermelon. Um, Discotronics is the name of the night on Sunday. And we've got discotronics.com, but I haven't put anything up on it yet. Um, what else can I plug? That's actually it. That's actually all I got going on right now because of Burning Man. So yeah, true. true. Well, so a weekly gig is still a thing. Yeah, no, that's actually really exciting. It's been a monthly gig for two years now. Coming on two years, we've been doing it every uh, first Sunday of the month, and we just just moved to every Sunday. So that's a big deal. It's pretty exciting. It's with DJ Ramsey and Boogie Monster. Okay. Yeah. I did just. Uh to get to get the touch of controversy going on, which uh-huh. I couldn't quite get you on the Burning Man flip side. <laughs> uh, I know you'll see in the community, like if you're on the Austin list or anything, there's the, the people talk a lot of shit about rapers. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and, I don't know. You're someone who does a lot of dance music and that kind of thing, and but people would call raper music, you know, whether that title's appropriate or not. What's your take on the whole, you know, the, the hostility? Um, you know, I think the hostility is really silly because. Ravers, uh, you know, the general consensus of that sort of attitude is that it's really not cool and it's pretty silly, you know. So I mean, like, but I mean, like, that's just human nature. I mean, there's such any time there, anytime there's a group of people that sort of, sort of try and radiate positivity and radiate like childlikeness, or you know, I mean, like a lot of people, it annoys people and people. Some people can develop a violent attitude toward it, like, you know, like punching a raver or whatever. It's kind of like, I mean, you really shouldn't want to punch anybody, much less, yeah. you know, much less, much less, you know, that's sort of, but even the concept raver is silly. It's like hippie. It's like, you know, it's just, it's just old and outdated and you can't really, you can't really put anybody in that category anymore because there are no raves. I mean, George Bush made sure of that. So anybody who's a raver is like someone like, you know, my age or slightly older. People who actually went to raves back in the day and uh, that's really the only people that you could actually call ravers. And even then, I mean, it's just kind of silly, I think. But I certainly, I certainly do, you know, if anybody that would have a, a negative attitude about someone who loves to dance and wear bright flashy clothes and wear blinkies and, you know, anybody who has a negative attitude about that, I mean, that's just silly. So, I mean, you got to ask yourself, what is it about the stereotype of the raver that makes people so upset? And that, I don't really know. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I have my own theories about, like, creating a category that is other and then being able to project the negative things that probably exist with all of us onto the other. Yeah, like stereotype salad. <laughs> to uh, go with the wrap-up here. Ooh, we're doing good with content. Wrap it up. All right. Uh, what I'd like to know is your, your, your you know, informed opinion what does it take to be a rock star? In my informed opinion, what does it take to be a rock star? 
Um, well, I mean, what does it take to be a rock star? That's a good question. I don't really, you know, I don't really know much about being a rock star, but I do know about being a winner. And um, all you have to do is be a winner. It's just tell yourself every day that you're a winner. That's usually it. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's been excellent. Thank you for listening to Flipped Out. Flipped Out is a podcast about the art, the culture, and the madness of Austin, Texas, and its burn community. Flipped Out is hosted at lancehunter.net slash flip, and that's flip with one P. To contact Flipped Out, please email flippedout at gmail.com, and that's Flipped Out with two Ps. Once again, thank you for listening. Now go be spectacular. Spectacular.